0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up tonight, President Biden will address the nation as his administration completes their first 100 days. He's is slated to roll out another nearly $2 trillion spending plan, the American Families Plan. It's chocked full of the left's priorities. But what does it mean for the family? Well, we'll talk about that. And yesterday, the White House defending their use of unethical and ineffective fetal tissue.
1: We believe that it's important to invest in science and, uh, and look for opportunities to cure diseases. And I think that's what this is hopeful to do.
2: That
0: was the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. We'll talk about that and more with Oklahoma Senator James Langford in just a moment. On day one, the Biden administration, you might recall this, quickly deep 6 the Trump administration's 1776 commission, which sought to establish model history curriculum for the U.S. We now know why the effort to teach real American history had to be disposed of. Room had to be made for a push for critical race theory in all of America's schools. We'll talk about it with Stanley Kurtz, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. About what the Biden administration has in store. And what are we to make of the 100 day mark of the Biden administration? Well, I'll share a portion of my conversation that I had earlier with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and I'll tell you where I stand later here on Washington Watch. Also, the Associated Press bemoaning the fact that there are, quote, little in the way of tangible repercussions for states that have taken steps to protect women's sports. And In so doing, the AP repeats the false narrative that North Carolina paid an economic price for its public restrooms bill back in 2017. We'll set the record straight with North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. Uh, Let me encourage you tonight, we will be hosting our weekly Pray Vote Stand broadcast at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join us. I'll be joined by Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, also former Secretary of HUD, Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Michelle Bachman will also be joining us as well, former Congresswoman from Minnesota. Minnesota, All of that tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right before the president speaks. So you'll want to join us and get prayed up for that. All right, as I mentioned, later tonight, the president will make a speech to a joint session of Congress and officially announce his American Families Plan. This is a $1.8 trillion package, which comes, by the way, on the heels of the proposed $2.5 trillion American Jobs Plan, and that comes on the heels of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that was passed by Congress, bringing... The bill for American to American taxpayers to an estimated $6.2 trillion. Now, we all know that names, especially in Washington, D.C., can be deceiving. So while a family's plan may sound like something we would want to get behind, not so quick. Uh, here's a, a short clip of what the White House press secretary, Jin Saki, had to say yes uh, earlier earlier. Actually, it was yesterday uh, talking about the president's speech tonight. Uh, Clip number two, please.
1: Well, the major policy announcement in the speech is, of course, the American Families Plan, a historic investment in education and child care. He will also use the speech as an opportunity to talk about many of his other priorities, including police reform, immigration, gun safety, his ongoing work to get the pandemic under control and to putting Americans back to work.
0: Joining us to talk about what the president may discuss tonight and taking a look at the first 100 days of this administration and its impact upon the families is U.S. Senator James Lankford from the great state of Oklahoma. He serves on the Senate Committee on Finance, and he joins us now. Senator, welcome back to the program.
2: Hey, glad to be back with you again.
0: So I know uh, you'll be uh, moving toward the Capitol here very shortly to get ready for the president's speech. Uh, what do you anticipate hearing tonight?
2: Actually, interestingly enough, I'll be moving towards the television tonight, like most Americans, to be able to watch the speech. Uh, As you may have heard, uh, Nancy Pelosi has limited the folks that can watch the speech. Normally, there's 1,600 that are in that room. She's limited it to 200 based on COVID restrictions she's put in place. And so there'll be quite a few folks that are not invited uh, to be able to be there uh, tonight. Uh, So it's kind of an interesting mix. I'm fascinated by the fact that uh, all of us have been vaccinated and we sit next to people on airplanes every week, uh, but we can't sit next to each other in the chamber uh, tonight. So I'll be watching with everyone else. I I do expect him to talk about gun control. I expect him to talk about how he's going to take care of children at three years old, how he's going to then take them in uh, through elementary and middle school and high school. Then uh, community college wants to be able to pay for that and wants to have a federal uh, oversight of education from literally three years old all the way until they go through college. I expect him to talk about uh, how he's going to try to, quote, unquote, get people back to work, which is fascinating to me since they did a large unemployment package uh, that went out that is really disincentivizing work. And literally this coming summer, they'll start having checks mailed out to people that are not working uh, on top of the unemployment checks they're already receiving, which will be another disincentive not to work. Uh, so it's going to be this really interesting process to try to figure out what he's saying and what actually he's doing, and then to be able to figure out how to be able to balance it out. And at the end of the day, as you mentioned before, how to be able to pay for it. Because President Biden so far, 100 days in, has recommended six and a half trillion dollars of spending. We haven't even got to the appropriations in his budget, which we expect his budget to be about four and a half trillion dollars of other spending. So we're looking at close to 11 trillion dollars in spending that he is recommending. And that's just in the first 100 days. I mean, it's, it's astonishing that we're talking about this
0: much money. And some of this obviously is proposed—the American Jobs Plan—that has to go through Congress. This family plan will have to go through Congress. But the, the 1.9 trillion of the American Rescue Plan, which was the uh, which came in a, a train of relief bills, for—and I think we're up about five trillion total in the coronavirus uh, response. That money hasn't even hit the streets. We've not even seen that money out yet. We don't know its impact, but yet we're already talking about we need more.
2: Yeah, that that bill was almost $2 trillion. Less than half of it would actually be spent in 2021. Uh, The other trillion dollars of it would actually be spent over the next four years clearly it's not about COVID aid. It's about a radical change in the way that we do every program uh, that's out there. And so they could use the word COVID uh, and it's actually not the the biggest example. That is bill Clinton uh, talked a lot about ending welfare. As we know it, we're going to incentivize work. We're going to stop doing cash payments to individuals that are not working that bill that they did earlier this year, which they called the COVID bill changed welfare assistance back to cash payments that are coming to people. And that will start this summer. So literally President Biden is undoing what President Clinton did in the 1990s and wants to make that a permanent ship. But there's a host of other issues that haven't even started yet. So while well, they said it's one of the most progressive bills ever in American history, they meant it. Uh, they just told everyone at the beginning, it's just about COVID. Don't pay attention to the rest of it. I would fully expect that what we're talking about with a family plan will look just the same as that. I'd love to have American families have control of their own family, not someone in Washington, D.C., having control of their family uh, so a family plan is a great way for us to be able to support other families in our neighbors and neighborhoods rather than have someone in D.C. run our families. Yeah, this is a uh, what I read into this plan. Of course, obviously, it's uh, news
0: reports right now because there's that's all we have. Uh, but it looks like a uh, massive redistribution of uh, of wealth. I mean, this looks like a uh, a centerpiece to a socialist agenda.
2: Yeah, it, it is. It is everything from literally cradle to grave socialism. Uh, it, it starts at three years old. Uh, with Well, there's additional payments even at birth. Uh, that will happen. Then at three years old, uh, free uh, child care for that, and then it will work all the way through all of your elementary, secondary education, then free community college, and then additional, uh, I expect him to announce student loans and what he's going to do that uh, for free college from that, and then it will continue to be able to progress uh, to the direction. I mean, this is by definition – Exactly what socialism is, is trying to be able to target certain businesses and entities, taking away that money and saying the government knows how to better to be able to spend this. And we're going to allow some people not to be able to work or some people we're going to manage uh, and other folks that are working. We're going to get a chance to take that money and we're going to be able to move it to wiser places. A free market allows every individual to be able to rise. That's what's been so powerful about the free market right. for so long is that everyone has that opportunity to rise and where the opportunity is lost. We fight to be able to make sure everyone has that equal chance and opportunity. And the whole economy grows with every single family together. That's a much better option than writing some people off and saying, no, you have no hope. You're not going to rise. So I take money from this group and give it to this group. Yeah, it's it's shocking how quickly we got here.
0: I want to I want to turn for just a couple minutes left to look at those first 100 days and what. We've seen just I I played a clip at the top of the show uh, from a question regarding the the reinstitution of the use of baby body parts uh, by this administration for research. And her claim was, well, we're we're for science, when, in fact, the science makes very clear that there has been no successful treatments with the use of baby body parts, tissue derived from aborted babies or embryonic stem cell research. But yet they continue to pursue that when real success for treatment of patients comes from adult stem cells.
2: That's correct. Make no mistake. President Biden has been the most pro-abortion president in the history of the United States, and it's not even close. What he has done in the first 100 days is to be able to fund abortions with American tax dollars overseas, begin purchasing baby body parts from uh, parts from Planned Parenthood and use, reinstating that for um, uh, research. Uh, he is for the first time ever in American history in his quote unquote COVID bill that two trillion dollars they had no hide protections in. Uh, so that means that's two trillion dollars that they can use in any way to be able to pay for abortions including sending it to states and telling states you can use that money to be able to pay for abortion funding in your state. That has never occurred in American history. It is occurring under Joe Biden, and he is saying he is not done yet. Uh, one appointment after another, Planned Parenthood has come out and said this is exactly who we were hoping that Joe Biden would actually put into that role in health and human services. And our aid programs around the world, uh, they've been targeting trying to be able to get the most radical individuals, the most pro-abortion individuals into every single spot. Uh, So he has had in his agenda in the first 100 days is how can we increase the number of abortions in America and how can we have individuals pay for it? No other president has ever done that. And he continues to be able to try to maintain this. I'm just a pleasant moderate in this. Make no mistake. He is the most pro-abortion president ever in history. The big the
0: big question, Senator Langford, that many people right now, pro-lifers, pro lifers evangelicals christian people all across this country that are deeply troubled and concerned by what you just said they're seeing it with their own eyes the most radical administration in the history of our country uh sold to us as uh being moderate the senate appears to be the last line of
2: defense at present will they hold The the Senate will hold on this, but we've got two Democrats that have got to be able to stay with us or they will break the filibuster and permanently change America forever. And uh, that is definitely Chuck Schumer's plan. He meant it uh, when he said, first we win Georgia, then we take over the nation. Uh, He meant that, and he is instituting every bit of his plan. The only barrier to his plan right now are are two Democrats that are actually keeping their word. Uh, Thirty-three Democrats just four years ago said, do not change the filibuster. This is core in the American democracy. We should not change. The filibuster should never be done. Four years later, all but two of those have walked away from their bold statements uh, that they made. And they said, just kidding. The president's changed. So we junked all of our core beliefs. And uh, so it's very important that we maintain not only what we're doing, but we maintain the filibuster because it protects the rights of the minority. Literally, Democrats are coming into power. And the first thing they're doing is advancing abortion and destroying the rights of the minority to be heard. And the media just ignores both of those facts, Uh, but it is Uh, very important that in America, we protect all voices. How convenient. Senator, we gotta leave
0: it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Folks, stick around. We're coming back on the other side of the break with more Washington Watch.
1: What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions, Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to FRC.org explainer. That's FRC.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to FRCblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family and freedom visit frcblog.com that's frcblog.com
3: would you like to spend more time in god's word then join family research council on an exciting journey through the bible with their stand on the word bible reading plan frc's two-year bible reading plan helps you to approach daily bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of god and how his word speaks into cultural issues By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible.
0: Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. This is Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Stand, our weekly edition. You can join us at 8 p.m. Go to PrayVoteStand.org. Last week, the Department of Education published a proposed new rule establishing priorities for grants in American history and civics education programs. All right, your antennae should go up. Alert, alert. When the left starts talking about history and civics, you should pay attention. Well, and what has been given priority in this rule are projects that incorporate racially, ethnically, culturally, and linguistically diverse perspectives, end quote. The rule goes on to cite and praise the New York Times landmark 1619 project. What could this mean for public schools in America? Well, joining me now to talk about this, Stanley Kurtz, Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Stanley, welcome back to the program.
4: Tony, thanks so much for having me on. So now we know why they had
0: to deep six the 1776 Commission. They had to make room for critical race theory.
4: Absolutely, Tony. This is deeply disturbing, although not at all surprising, And here's the really scary part. If it were just this rule, it wouldn't be that bad. But there is legislation pending in Congress right now called the Civics Secures Democracy Act. It would appropriate $1 billion a year to fund history and civic education. And if you combine the priority criteria already in that legislation with the new Biden rule, then this would be like a second Common Core, but much worse. You might remember that Obama was able to force Common Core on 48 of the 50 states just by offering grant money through what was called Race to the Top. Well, if the Civic Secures Democracy Act passes, it will be exceedingly difficult to prevent even red states from applying for these grants that will have a requirement that to win the grant, the state has to impose critical race theory and something else called action civics, essentially political protest, and in practice, leftist political protest for course credit. That will be imposed even on the red states in most instances if that legislation passes and the Biden administration administers the grants.
0: And, and Stanley, you also point out in a piece that uh, you wrote uh, that's, by the way, folks, it's at my website, Tony Biden set to push critical race theory on U.S. schools that these red states even, you know, you got conservative states. But when this grant money is out there and the education st- establishment, which is always tr- tracking to the left, starts pounding those governors and legislators saying, oh, you're not giving us the money. You won't allow us to have this kind of money. We need this money for education. Most of them will fold like a cheap suit.
4: That is right, Tony. There is a way to stop this. Uh, First, of course, we could block the federal bill. In addition to that, states need to pass their own bills. And if uh, your folks go and look up my name, Stanley Kurtz, and something called the Partisanship Out of Civics Act, I have posted model legislation endorsed by the National Association of Scholars at the National Association of Scholars website that would bar both action civics and critical race theory and the worst ideas from the 1619 project from states. And so this would block the bureaucrats from being able to fulfill the priority criteria Of the federal grants. So we really have to fight this at both the federal and the state level, and frankly, the district level as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's extremely important because right now, what you see happening in Washington, D.C. is not encouraging because they're ramming these things through. We just had Senator Langford on uh, talking about their entire agenda and how it all hinges on two Democrats keeping the filibuster in place. So you're absolutely right. State legislatures need to be involved in this. And quite frankly, uh, folks, that's where you can have the greatest impact is at the state level with your state legislators. And Stanley, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there are some states already pushing through uh, legislation. I don't know if it's your model legislation, but legislation similar uh, to that that would uh, prohibit the critical race theory from being taught.
4: Yes, Tony, a bill uh, inspired by my model is advancing in Texas, but several other states are advancing bills to block critical race theory. But um, frankly, there are problems with some of those bills. Some of them are good and some of them are more problematic. It's tough to, a lot of them adapted President Trump's executive order barring critical race theory, but you have to make certain tweaks when you bring that into the area of teacher training and K-12 curriculum. And um, if you try to control the college classroom, the law will probably be struck down so it sort of catches, catch can on a lot of these bills. A lot of them are failing. Some of the, uh, some of them are uh, going to pass and be overturned. Some of them are written the right way. I'd like to think, I do think, that my model is uh, both the safest and the most comprehensive because it's the only one that bars both critical race theory and action civics. And people don't realize it. Action civics has only been mandated so far. In Illinois and Massachusetts, but it's very much written into these federal bills. And if a state only, even if a state succeeds in barring critical race theory, it could have this mandatory political protest that would right. also mandate teachers discuss current political controversies in class. We know what the teachers' politics are for the most part. Uh, so you really have to bar both action civics and critical race theory. And my model and the Texas bill are the only ones so far doing that.
0: Well, we'll certainly encourage uh, lawmakers to take a look at and for folks to uh, pass that along. Uh, It's encouraging that they're actually concerned about this and taking steps to address it. Let's uh, help them do it the right way. Um, But the last thing we need are our children being turned into little leftist activists, which is exactly what's happening in Illinois. You were on here before talking about that. We want to nip that in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. Stanley Kurtz, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And, folks, uh, take action on this. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over, see what Stanley's got, share that with uh, your lawmakers. We can make a difference. We've got to draw a line and defend it. Our children need to be defended. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at these last 100 days. And I'd share with you a little bit of my conversation I had with uh, Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More to come. In just a moment.
1: Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app.
5: As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. As we've been talking about today, we mark the first 100 days of the Biden Harris presidency. While there's nothing magical about the first 100 days, it does provide a mile post from which we can measure what administration has done, good or bad, in comparison to others. So this is my assessment at this point, award-winning, record-setting administration, but not in a good way. President Biden more than doubled the number of executive orders that occurred last time when he was in the White House under Barack Obama when he was president. He far outpaced Donald Trump, whom the media criticized for using executive action. In total, President Biden has taken 62 executive actions, nearly half of them. 32 were a direct attack on life, family, and religious freedom. He has revoked more executive orders of his predecessor than any other president. 62. Therein lies part of the attacks on life and family and religious liberty, undoing the work of the most pro-life, pro-religious liberty administration in modern history. The pendulum has clearly swung, but the evidence would suggest that the pendulum has only swung in Washington, D.C., which... Of course, if the Democrats have their way, we'll be the 51st state. Now, I'm hard-pressed to find a single policy that the Biden administration is championing that a majority of Americans actually support. Let's listen to this list. Forced taxpayer funding of abortion, top priority from this administration. Only 38% support. Forcing girls to compete in sports with biological males, 32%. Forcing states to drop voter ID laws, only 19%. Packing the courts to dilute the impact of constitutionalists on the courts, only 31% support that idea. Eliminating the legislative filibuster in the Senate, 41% support that, far short of a majority. Statehood for Washington, D.C., 43% of Americans support that idea, also falling short of a majority. As I said many times during the last election cycle, the election for president was about policy, not personality. We provided a look at both party platforms and their agendas, which showed a very clear contrast. None of this, other than the speed by which it is being done, should be a surprise to anyone. Shame on those Christian leaders that used their influence to facilitate the narrative that this election that we just went through was about personality. Certainly, a candidate's personal life matters. But in the real world of presidential politics, last November, we had a choice between two candidates. That was it. To suggest anything different was outright deceptive. The words and actions of these leaders had the effect of discouraging evangelicals from voting, or worse yet, actually voting for Joe Biden and becoming complicit in the Biden-Harris evil agenda. For those self-justified never-Trumpers, take a good, hard look at the immoral policies that have been put in place in the last 100 days. And the Biden administration is just getting started. You know, Joe Bart- Biden started where he and Barack Obama left off in 2016. This is not the agenda of a moderate Democratic president or even a liberal Democratic president. This is the agenda of leftist, And this is where I stand. And I'm not alone in this view. Earlier today, I spoke with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo about his take
6: on the first 100 days of the Biden administration. The progressive left, the hardest of the hardcores, have clearly dominated President Biden's policy. Uh, You know, I I know Senator Biden, I knew Vice President Biden. Uh, These policies that he's put in place across the board, both domestically and internationally, are not the kinds of things that he would have championed 20 or 30 years ago, the things that we thought Joe Biden believed and in. indeed what he's pushing is the radical far left woke agenda. We see it in every front, whether it's the disaster that they've created along our southern border, whether it's the conversations that they're having e- e- even today in Vienna about uh, uh, an ally of ours, Israel, where they're going to hand a lot of power to Iran that has genocidal intent with respect to Israel. Those are, those are issues that the. The old Scoop Jackson Democrat Party, they would have never done that. This is now a Democrat Party controlled by the furthest left. And that won't be good for American security. It certainly won't be. And folks, you can watch
0: a lot more of that interview tonight on our Pray Vote Stand broadcast. I'll be talking in greater detail with uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo about the implications of the foreign policy priorities of this administration, both on our domestic standing but also internationally and what this will do with our friends and allies abroad uh, this is extremely important that we be we pray we stand firm and we are prepared to vote when we have that opportunity but folks we must not give up on this country we must stand firm resolute on the truth unyielding to the forces of darkness All right, don't go away. We're going to come back with more of Washington Watch right after this break as we take a look at the AP spinning uh, a little tail, I might say. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
7: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network. Radio, the KTLW radio network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com.
5: Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe.
8: The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act paradoxically would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law, and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit FRC.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been
7: killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media and, if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit FRC.org slash Nigeria.
1: Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019 up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts.
0: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you again tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Stand, our weekly uh, broadcast. I'll be joined by Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman will be joining us tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can tune in by going to PrayVoteStand.org. Okay, corporations have been going woke. Anybody notice that? Especially with uh, regard to election reform, following all the attention received by the state of Georgia over its new voting laws. But so far, there's been little corporate backlash against the states that have passed or moving forward legislation that pushes back against the transgenderism agenda. I guess they can only fight so many things at one time. Here's an interesting uh, well, take on this, and this is what caught my attention. This was in the Associated Press today. It's almost like a dog whistle, I think, to the left, but here, here's the headline. New laws targeting transgender rights face little backlash. Five states have passed laws or implemented executive orders this year limiting the ability of transgender youths to play sports or receive certain medical treatment. There's been a vehement outcry from supporters of transgender rights, but little in the way of, listen to this, tangible repercussions for those states. It's a striking contrast to the fate of North Carolina a few years ago when its legislature passed a bill in March of 2016 limiting which public restrooms transgender people could use. There was a swift and powerful backlash. The NBA, the NCAA relocated events. Some companies scrapped expansion plans. By March 2017, the bill's bathroom provisions were repealed. The threat was all these companies were going to lose. They were going to move. They were going to tank North Carolina's economy when, in fact, the opposite happened. Now, I can't explain the retreat that the Republicans did in in the legislature there, but I can tell you this that when you stand up to these cultural bullies, they go away. And it appears that as we've seen multiple states now stand up and simply say, no, we're pursuing common sense policy, these uh, leftists have gone away. At least they've gone silent for a while. Join me now to talk more about this and its impact upon The state of North Carolina, which quite frankly is doing pretty well, is Congressman Dan Bishop. He represents the ninth Congressional District of North Carolina and was in the legislature back when the legislature passed HB2. Congressman, welcome to the program. Hey, Tony. Uh, Glad to be with you. In fact, not only was I
9: in the legislature, I was the lead primary sponsor of
0: HB2. Uh, And I was going to let you tell our listeners about that and the tremendous pushback. Uh, that came from the sports leagues and such, but also the story of how the economy continued to go up, 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 tourism, up, up, up. Uh, Doesn't look like North Carolina suffered at all.
9: You know, Tony, what they engage in with these woke corporate backlash efforts is a form of hysteria. And there's really not much there, there. So uh, even in the year Uh, 2016, where uh, HP2 was passed in March and remained on the books throughout that year, it was, by some distance, the best tourism year for North Carolina ever. And uh, the General Assembly fiscal staff, at my request when I remained there in 2018, took a look to see if they could detect any any, uh, economic impact in North Carolina. And the answer was there was no detectable economic impact. And yet, media has, establishment media have for uh, forever, uh, for, during the event, you know, during 2016 and in years past, they've all cited one article by two AP reporters with no economic no economic expertise, no analysis, no examination of data, who just sort of back of the envelope came up with the, the notion that there had been $3.76 billion of economic impact on North Carolina. It was absurd. And I think what you're seeing is you can only maintain kind of a bully's bravado a few times till you're called out. And now they've gone to the well more often than uh, than than they than they can because they're they're not only opposing laws to keep children safe from mutilation uh, in the interest of transgender ideology or laws to uh, allow. Uh, Females to have competitive athletics without having males participate in them. But there are also these corporate, the corporate mobs being called out to attack states for pursuing integrity in their elections. Like Georgia with their voter ID basically liberalized everything except for required voter ID and and the woke corporations were called out to go wild.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, there are still some within the ranks of Republicans that do not understand you. you I mean, I, I kind of go back and I know this, this upsets people, but it's the same principle. You know, Ronald Reagan said we don't negotiate with terrorists. Look, I, I see these folks as cultural terrorists. They're bullying people. You don't negotiate with them. You do what is right. You do what the American people, your, your constituents want. Um we saw this recently in in Arkansas. I've got a clip here of, uh, of, of Governor Hutchison, unfortunately, caving, but we had a strong legislature. They overrode his veto. Play clip number five.
9: I also recognize the image of Arkansas is important and that we have a growing economy. And when people want to look at Arkansas, I want them to think of a place that is tolerant, uh, that has a hate crime bill, Uh, That is acceptance of people that might be different and uh, that we uh, uh, put a value on other people's lives uh, that might be different than ours. Uh, I want that image of Arkansas. So image is also always important for a governor uh, and the impression people have of our state.
4: You
0: know, and I I actually I like Governor Hutchinson. He's a friend. I talked to him through that process and, uh, and respect him. I disagree and he knows that. Uh, with his decision to veto the SAFE Act there in Arkansas. But here's the point. The the intimidation that came, you could hear it in in what he had to say, that they were concerned that businesses wouldn't come there. You get these, as you mentioned, these corporations that say, we're going to take our business elsewhere. Bottom line is this, though is that these corporations want a favorable environment for their business when it comes to taxes, when it comes to regulation. And guess what? It's the states that have conservative social policy that have the same conservative fiscal policy. So they have to take both. They can't pick and choose. Because if you go to these liberal states with the liberal ideology, it includes bad fiscal policy, too.
9: Well, you know, frankly, Tony, whether an economy – you're right that the strongest economies are in southern states and and uh, and Republican states that have stood up for these principles, and people are moving there and away from blue states. But, but regardless, no corporation is going to abandon uh, major parts of the American market, certainly not the best ones. And the very – and what you've seen Governor Hutchinson do there is – fall prey to the bullying. You know, it's interesting. I never backed down. I never advocated for the repeal of HP2. I've been elected four times since then, and and some who waffled weren't. Uh, So I just think the lessons are clear. And I would certainly say uh, to all those states that have voters that want these uh, values protected that you know that are that the corporations describe in the most ridiculous ways when they're attacking, uh, those voters resent corporations nullifying their votes, and I think the thing to do is you know you got to show them who's boss. The people who have been elected by the people to serve make the decisions, not CEOs, not the radical HR departments that have been you know um, infested with these uh, woke lefties. You just cannot cave to that. And and this this phenomenon will go away if a number of
0: states stand up to it. You are absolutely correct. Uh, Governor Kemp is a good example of that in Georgia. He has stood up to this. And and as and I had I've had him on the program several times and I credit him with other states moving forward with their election reform efforts like Governor Ducey in Arizona and, and other states that have taken this on because. He stood up to Coca-Cola, to Delta, uh, to Amazon, to these big corporate bullies and said, no, this is my job to protect elections and the integrity of elections, and I'm going to do it. And more elected officials need to call their bluff. And I think North Carolina is a perfect example that they're bluffing. They can't hurt your economy. Your economy grew, and it continues to grow. In fact, you you picked up another congressional seat.
9: uh, Absolutely. You know, Tony, I think it's – you're right.
0: Call their bluff
9: not only by maintaining a a defensive posture, go on counterattack. In Georgia, they uh, uh, filed a bill to uh, repeal Delta Airlines uh, aviation fuel tax uh, credit. Yes. They uh, the uh, and Governor Kemp went out after. I mean, they the MLB has had to defend the fact that they've retaliated against Atlanta, a community in which business owners are majority black. Uh, and, and Stacey Abrams is having to bear the the uh, the brunt of that ridiculous uh, activism. So that that's the thing. I say, not only stand pat, but go after these woke corporate
0: uh, that, that's it. That, that is. That is an extremely good point, Dan. Uh, and it's something, actually, that the Republican Party could learn from Donald Trump. Donald Trump was one who, uh, you know, he, he felt like the best defense is a good offense. And he he was constantly on the offense, maybe a little bit too much. But the point is, the things you believe in, fight for them. And don't right. hunker down in a foxhole. You know, charge the hill. You're absolutely right, more Republican leaders need to realize the times in which we're in. There's, there's very little middle ground. Uh, you, the, you know, you've got the left. You've got the right. And, you know, our folks need to believe, like you said, you've been elected multiple times having ta- taken these strong positions. People do not get excited about yellow stripes in the middle of the road. They don't want something in the middle of the road. They want to know where their leaders stand. And I still believe to this day, that is why Donald Trump had so much support, whether you liked him or not, you knew where he stood and those who liked it stood with him. That's exactly
9: right. There is a great and intense hunger out there for people center right for elected officials who will display, who who will stand up for their convictions and, and uh you know, I, that's got to be uh, responded to. I certainly am going to respond to it. I don't care whether I remain in office or not. If someone wants to dump me because I've stood up for the principles I've been elected upon, so be it. But my responsibility is to stand for the principles. Let the voters
0: choose. Absolutely, and that's that's the way I approached when I was in office. If I got reelected, fine. If not, that's fine too. I'm going to continue to do. What I've been called to do, and that is to stand for truth and advocate for those truths that are beneficial to all people, uh, whether they recognize it or not. Uh, Before we run out of time, Dan Bishop, I want to talk about the the future of Congress. I mean, obviously, right now, uh, the Democrats control the House and the Senate, but very narrow margins in both the House and the Senate, just in the – I barely mentioned it, but the redistrict or the census numbers and what may come from that may – even uh, accomplish a switch of uh, Republican to Democratic uh, majorities in the, in the House. But this is my question for you, Dan Bishop. Will the Republicans, as we've been talking about, and they don't have a history of this in Congress, but fight for these principles when the American people give them the leadership once again? Well, Tony, um,
9: you know, it's, it's a very related point to what we were just discussing And we had the Republican conference retreat the the past couple of days, just got back home uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday evening. And uh, Ben Shapiro gave a great keynote speech the last evening. And he said, be bold. He he laid out the sort of things we should do. And I've got to tell you, uh, Tony, I'm not 100% sure that all of the conference is yet embracing that. I certainly know I was the person who, who made the motion to vacate the chair to remove Liz Cheney as our conference chair? I'm sure there are people who disagree with me about that. Uh, we didn't come close to winning. We only had about 61 Republicans support that move. I think as time has gone on, it shows clear. It becomes clearer and clearer that it's the right thing to do. Um, but it's going to require people taking stands and being prepared to be bold. And, you know, Ben Shapiro said it. I asked the Q&A during the Q&A. I asked Ben whether uh, he would uh, 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 what what would be the price if we aren't prepared to be bold. And he said it's like a one way ratchet. The American people are going to give up on national politics if Republicans don't do more than just stand pat.
0: Yes, he's absolutely right. I, I hear that. It is, uh, it is time for bold, courageous leadership. And, uh, and Dan Bishop, I thank you for being one of those leaders, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. It was a great pleasure to be with you. I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Congressman Dan Bishop of uh, North Carolina. All right, folks, almost out of time. I want to, again, encourage you to join us tonight for our Pray Vote Stand event. Go to, FR, uh, go to prayvotestand.org, and uh, you can participate in tonight's event. We'll have uh, Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Dr. Ben Carson, and Michelle Bachman. All right, folks, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Make use of them. Stand firm. Be bold. Speak loudly. i leave you with this thought The encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.